Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, joining the show today from Tunisia. And this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today, Dr. Philippe Taturka joins the show again. On July 24th, 2021, Dr. Taturka joined the show and we had a conversation about a previous female pharaoh of Egypt, Hatshepsut. In today's episode, Dr. Taturka joins the show again, and we're going to have a conversation about another previous pharaoh of Egypt, Thutmose I, who was the father of Hatshepsut. Dr. Taturka is a Polish Egyptologist. He's assistant professor at the Institute of Mediterranean and Oriental Cultures of the Polish Academy of Sciences, based in Warsaw, Poland. He has written many publications over his career, and his scholarly work currently focuses on the reign of Hatshepsut, and the expeditions of the land of Punt. And Dr. Taturka joins the show today from Poland. Welcome back on the show, Philippe. Hi, Andrew. Thank you very much for your kind invitation once again. It's good to connect with you again, Philippe. So probably a similar type of question um, that I had asked in the last episode that we did on Hatshepsut. Uh, and this time we're chatting about Thutmose the first. Can you share uh, who Thutmose I was to create enough background and context for the conversation and then we'll obviously work our way into the details? Yes, sure. Um, Thutmose I is one of the most enigmatic rulers of the 18th, of the 18th dynasty. He is actually the third ruler of the group of kings we today call the 18th dynasty because as I told you last time, uh, we owe this division to the dynasties um, to the Egyptian priest Manitho living in the, at the turn of the 4th and 3rd century BCE. And uh, the problem with the I is that we don't really know who, uh, who he was before he became king. I mean, we call him today the third king of the 18th dynasty, but we don't know what were the exact links of his to his predecessor Amenhotep I. Um, we know the name of mother of Thutmose uh, the first, and the mother it was called um, Semisenet, but we don't know the name of the father. Apparently, um, he was not of royal origin. I mean, he was not the son of. He was definitely not the son of Amenhotep the first. Although some scholars believe that he might have been a a son of one of the royal princes, so member of the collateral line of the dynasty, but even this is not quite sure. Um, he might have been one of the royal courtiers. Uh, apparently, he was connected somehow to to, to the mother of the previous king, so to the mother of Amenhotep the, the first, and whom the mother was was called uh, Ahmos Nefertri. Was one, she was one of the most influential female figures at, the early 18th dynasty and it is perhaps that because of these connections with her that after the death of Amenhotep III, the first Thutmose I sorry, ascended to the throne of Egypt, accessed the throne of Egypt. Um, but um, unfortunately this is not the only um, let's say enigma which is which is connected to the reign of Thutmose uh, I. We don't know the, the exact length of his reign. We know that he must have reigned at least eight or nine years, but some scholars say that it might have been even 12, 12 years or, so, or something like this. 
Um, we know that Philip the I was nevertheless one of the most important rulers of the 18th, of the 18th dynasty, um, because despite relatively brief period of his reign, um, he managed to achieve many important things. First of all, in regnal year two of his reign, he organized a huge military campaign to the south in order to destroy one of the Egypt's most important enemies at the time, namely the kingdom of Kush in Nubia, which is which was situated uh, in the southern part of modern Egypt and northern part of modern Sudan. And he literally wiped it out of the surface of the earth by this huge military expedition. Uh, we also know that sometime later he organized another military expedition, this time to Asia, and he got as far as to the Euphrates River. It was no, no previous king got so so far to the north before him. Okay, so there's some stuff that we can obviously go through in this conversation, Philippe, in more more detail. Um, what is it about, do you think, um, as a scholar, when you've looked looked through the records and stuff, what is it about, do you have any, um, any kind of inferences why there might not be as much uh, information about the uh, his 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 origins. You use the term enigmatic. Someone like his a daughter. It sounds like there there was um, Hatshepsut. There was a lot more information um, from from her 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 origins and, and lineage. What what about this uh, this this individual? Do you think um, any inferences why there just isn't much known about him? Yet there's so much known about his actual reign itself. You know the problem with the, with the kings of Egypt in general. Uh, not only in the early 18th dynasty, but in general in the history of Egypt, is that usually we don't know very much about the kings prior to their accessions. Um, in many instances, we, we can infer that one king was the son of his predecessor, but um, in many instances, we, would, we wouldn't have known about his existence had he not become the king afterwards. So, um, as a royal son, at least, because prior to the New Kingdom period, which we are dealing uh, here today, uh, um, except maybe for the for the for the, um, the the Old Kingdom period, but in many in many other periods, we don't really have information about royal sons. Actually, it is the New Kingdom period, especially uh, in the nineteenth and twentieth dynasties when we start to hear many things about royal sons. Uh, we have some information about royal sons in the 4th and 5th dynasty, but afterwards, uh, they usually are all almost completely missing from the historical record for, for some reasons. I mean, apparently, um, mm, mm, it was the king who was, the, let's say, center of the interest of our sources, and not necessarily his family. Uh, in some in some instances, so apparently th this is one of the of the reasons we don't really know who who Thutmose the first uh, was prior to his accession. But uh, um, usually we don't we simply don't know these things about kings what they did before they became king 
uh, something similar came up uh, in uh, an episode. Dr. Joyce Tildesley has been on the show a couple times, and we covered in the past Nefertiti and um, Akhenaten. Um, and uh, if I recall, in one of those episodes, she was describing how a lot of the artwork with Akhenaten, when depicting his family, it's uh, women, women around, not not um, not not males. Um, is that um, is that is that a general trend you find in looking at these different uh, historical figures in in Egypt, where the 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 male youths aren't aren't depicted as much in the uh, in in what's what's left over in the the records until they potentially become a uh, pharaoh, for instance. It depends on the period, actually, because when, for example, in the Old Kingdom, in the 4th and 5th dynasty, we had some information about the royal sons, because it is actually the royal sons who held, who held the most important administrative offices. Um, the problem is that we are not always sure if, uh, if someone held the title of the royal son, does it really mean that he was the bodily son of the king, or was it simply a honorific title uh, used to... Um, let's say, promote the official to the high rank. It is also possible. In the, in the Middle Kingdom, for example, um, we don't hear as much about the royal sons as we hear in some instances about the royal daughters. Um, in the early New Kingdom, for example, the 18th dynasty, we have some information about the royal sons, um, but it is very scarce. Later on, um, we have information about royal daughters, as in the case of uh, of the early 18th dynasty, uh, like Hatshepsut, for example, and Akhenaten. But in this case, it, the the stress on the royal daughters and not royal sons might simply be that Akhenaten had more daughters than he had sons. Um, this is also another um, another possibility. But Later, in the 19th and, L and uh, 20th dynasties, particularly Ramesses II, Ramesses III, we have uh, huge representations of processions of both royal sons and royal daughters, as apparently uh, there was some shift and some change in the royal ideology, which, um, which, made, which made the king to stress more his descendants than in the previous period, but we are not very sure why it actually happened. Okay, in the last episode that we did, which was on Hatshepsut, uh, if I recall, you made a comment about uh, her tomb being associated, could even be in the same tomb, and I'm sure it's going to come up in your response, as uh, Thutmose I. So can you speak about what's known about uh, his tomb or tombs, and um, if his mummy was ever located. Um, yeah, the, pro the problem of the tomb of the first is one of the most vividly discussed among scholars of the period. Um, the problem is that we have an, an inscription, a biographical inscription of, uh, of an official called Inini, who was responsible for constructing the tomb of Thutmose the first. And he claims in his biographical inscription that he was supervising the construction of the tomb of King Thutmose I and that no one saw it and no one heard it. And apparently it was located in a secluded and secret location uh, because in the early 18th dynasty, the uh, Egyptian kings um, apparently 
stopped building pyramids. The last king to to, to build a pyramid was Ahmos II, the founder of the 18th dynasty. But later kings uh, decided to um, to construct their tombs in not an apparent, in not as much apparent way as the pyramids of old of old period of early periods, and. And scholars, this, and scholars still argue where this mysterious tomb of Thutmose uh, the first uh, was. One of the most natural suppositions was that it was in the Valley of the Kings, because we also know that it is apparently Thutmose the first who was responsible for founding the village of workers known today as the Deir al Medina. It was the, the small village uh, near on, in the western Thebes, uh, which was um, inhabited by the workers who were supposed to construct the tombs. And it was they, it was them who later constructed the tombs in the body of the kings. So scholars started to search the tomb of the of the I in the Valley of the Kings. And the problem is that in the Valley of the Kings there are two tombs attributed to Fukmus I. One is um, uh, the one which he shared with Hatshepsut, and another one was um, attributed to him alone. Uh, why so? Why there are two tombs of Thutmose uh, the first? Because as I told you last time, every pharaoh had was ob had an obligation, a responsibility to start his reign with uh, um, with making proper burial to his predecessor. When Hatshepsut became king. Had predecessors, Thutmose the first, Thutmose the second, were already dead and buried. So what she had to do was to make a new burial for her father, because she acknowledged her father as her predecessor, not her husband, who was literally, who was strictly speaking predecessor of Thutmose the third. And so she removed um, the body of Thutmose the first from his original burial and placed it in her tomb, KV20, in the Valley of the Kings. It seems that later on, when Hatshepsut died and when Thutmose III started um, the whole um, procedure of removing her names and images uh, from the official records, uh, he removed the body of Thutmose I once again to the other tomb in the Valley of the Kings. The problem is that we don't know where was the original tomb of the Thutmose the first? I mean, if the tomb uh, when, where Thutmose the first was eventually buried by Thutmose the third, was it his original tomb? Or was it a tomb specially made by Thutmose the third to bury Thutmose the first? There are, let's say, three possibilities. One possibility is that um, KB20, so the shared tomb of Thutmose I and Thutmose and, and Hatshepsut was original burial of Thutmose I, uh, but Hatshepsut um, changed it to be a shared tomb and uh, she made a new burial for Thutmose I. And later on, Thutmose III buried Thutmose I in the other tomb. Second possibility is that. This other tomb was the original tomb of Thutmose I, and what Thutmose III did was to simply return the body of his grandfather to his original tomb. And the, first, uh, and the third option is that the original tomb was located outside the Valley of the Kings, and Thutmose I was, re was 
was and the, the burial place of Philip Morris the first was changed twice from his original tomb to KV twenty and from KV twenty to the to his eventual tomb uh, managed, uh, constructed by Philip Morris the third. I mean, I, I, I know it's all very complicated, but this is this is what we do in the history of the early uh, of the early eighteenth dynasty. I mean, I mean, we have scarce information and many possibilities. Uh, to to go up with, I I understand, yeah, and um, uh, if and any anyone who wants to go over that again can always um, hit the back button, and when I listen back to this episode, I'm sure I'll do that as as well. But thank you for expanding on on that, um, uh, Philippe. And you, you also asked for, for the mummy. Um, the problem is we have a mummy which is attributed to Footmoster first. Um, but it has been suggested by the scholars that it actually did not belong to him. Because the problem with the royal mummies is that at the end of the New Kingdom period, uh, they were removed from their original tombs and reburied by the priests of Amun. And uh, uh, some of the mummies were buried in the royal cachet in the Deir el-Bahari valley, and the others in the tomb of Amenhotep II in the Valley of the Kings. And it seems that at least some of the mummies were misidentified by the priests um, when, when the mummies were reburied. And apparently this is the case of the mummy allegedly um, attributed to, allegedly belonging to Footmoster I. It seems that what, is, what was labelled by these uh, priests of Amun at the end of the New Kingdom as the mummy of, uh, of Footmoster uh, I was apparently some other highly important figure, some other king. Uh, but most likely not Footmoster first. So it's not confirmed if in current times, if the mummified body has been found. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I believe there is a general consensus that the mummy we have actually, and which was identified by the ancient people as the mummy of Footmoster first did not belong to him. And uh, which gives us, uh, once again, a couple of possibilities. Maybe the mummy is known but not identified. I mean, it's discovered but not identified, or maybe it's not. It's still undiscovered. Okay. How did he become pharaoh? Mm. This is once again an enigma. I mean, after the death of Amenhotep the first, who apparently had no male successor, Thutmose uh, the first appears literally out of nowhere. Um, he becomes king, and some scholars believed that he accessed the throne um, due to his marriage with Queen Ahmos, who was long believed to be the um, sister of, um, of Amenhotep I, the previous king, which but, but the problem with this interpretation is that Ahmos indeed bears the title of king's sister, but if, but if she is a sister of the king, she would have to be also a daughter of the king, which she is not. She, I mean, she bears the title of, of, of king's sister, but not the title of, the, of, king's, uh, of king's daughter. Um, so apparently, the title of king's sister cannot refer to Amenhotep I, which would make of Ahmos 
a daughter of Ahmed II, the previous king. Uh, but apparently, the title refers to Fukunst I himself, which might suggest that Ahmos, his wife, was his sister, possibly a half-sister, because it happened that the Egyptians uh, married their half-sister. It was not as widespread as many people believe, um, but it did happen, especially in the, in, in the royal circle, let's say in the royal family and uh, in the high upper, upper class, uh, and also in some instances in let's okay let's say let's say in the royal family it happened so um as i told as i told you before it is possible that it was the mother of the previous king so ahmos nefertri the mother of Ahmed the first who promoted uh Fukmos the first to be king uh due to his um, skills especially perhaps military skills, as proved by his later military achievements in both the South and the North. And uh, as Ahmos Nefertri was one of the most influential figures on the royal court at the time, uh, it might have been her who chose uh, one of her officials to be the next king. Before we uh, move through the conversation more and speak more about his reign and some other, other stuff, um, what, what's known about the term Thutmose? About what, excuse me? Yeah, what's known about the actual name? Th oh, the name? Th th yeah, the name Thutmose. Is there anything that's known about what that, what that name uh, means? I, I presume there were contemporaries at the time that actually wrote, wrote, wrote the name, and please bring that into your response as, as necessary, but is anything more known about what the name means? Um, yeah, the, 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 the meaning and the significance of the name is, uh, is known. Uh, it, it means literally Thoth was born. Thoth being the god of, uh, of uh, scripture and writing, and uh, on, on the one hand and on the other hand of the moon. Apparently, there is something uh, connected to, I mean, there is some special significance of the, of the lunar cult, of the cult of moon at at the turn of the seven, at the end of the seventeenth and then the early eighteenth dynasty, because we have a couple of rulers uh, who, in their names, associate themselves with the god Thoth or with the god of Moon. For example, we have the god Ta'a, whose name means whose name is one of the variant of the name of Jehudi, so so the Egyptian name of Thoth. Um, we have King Ahmos and. Uh, who, whose name means the moon was born. Um, we have a couple of queens who have also the name Ahmos, which also, which once again means um, the, mo the moon was born. And we have Thutmose later on, which means Thoth, so the god of moon, one of the, god of, one of the lunar gods, was born. Okay. And... Um, scholars are confident that that was the name that was used in contemporary times versus it being a neologism given later on? Mm. Um, we, we know, we know um, let's say, um, I mean, it, it, it's difficult to say, in, in fact. I mean, we know... Um, the, the problem is that we know more footmoses, more, footmoses, more people named footmoses after the, the accession of the I, because it is quite natural that many people take their name after the kings, even people who are not kings, right? 
Um, I'm not very sure how widespread the name Footmose was before Footmose, the first succession, but we know that names of this pattern, let's say the name of the god and uh, and uh, the, the mass element, which means was born, uh, were quite common in, in, in ancient Egypt, in ancient Egypt, even prior to um, the accession of Footmose I. So it's it it might have been his proper name, let's say. Um, although theoretically, there is, it is a possibility that his original name was different and he changed it while accessing the throne of Egypt. It happened uh, a couple of times in the history of Egypt, but we have no way of knowing that, for now at least. Okay. How many marriages is he known to have had, and what's known about the number of children? Um, we know that he had uh, one great royal wife, so the principal wife, uh, who was Queen Ahmos, mother of Hatshepsut and the other daughter Neferubiti. And I believe it, it, we can say also that she was the mother of his two eldest sons, uh, Amenmos and Wajmos, although some scholars believe that uh, they were sons of her other known uh, let's say, consort or concubine or lesser wife, uh, who, was, uh, who was called um, Mutnejmet or Mutnojmet. Um, she was the mother of his third son, uh, Fukmos II, who eventually became uh, king of Egypt after the death of Fukmos I. Perhaps he also had, um, let's say, more women in his royal harem, but uh, once again, we have no way of knowing that for sure. Okay. And I want to confirm, and this came up in our last episode, but it's relevant because we're speaking about Thutmose the first Philippe. Um, so one of his children was Hatshepsut, who became a pharaoh in Egypt. And then one, one of his children was Thutmose the second. Can you can you um, expand on that and, and confirm those those points? And then those. Th my understanding was um, th those two individuals were also married at one point. Um, yes, um, Hatshepsut was apparently the eldest daughter of Thutmose uh, the first, and the daughter of his principal wife, Queen Ahmes. Thutmose the second, in turn, in turn, was his third known son. Um, who was um, apparently significantly younger than Hatshepsut, um, and he was and he was the son of his of Thutmose the first minor wife or a concubine called Mutnejmet. But after the death of Thutmose um, the first, it was Thutmose the second who became king because apparently none of his elder brothers was still alive. Uh, when Thutmose the second became king of Egypt, he married his half-sister, Hatshepsut, who became his queen and principal wife. Um, and they, they had a daughter whose name was um, Neferura, but we know also that Thutmose the second had a son with another woman called, who, whose name was uh, Aset, and the name of Isis, and the name of the son was once again Thutmose. This was the king Thutmose the third of whom we spoke last time, uh, in whose uh, who who became king after um, 
after the premature death of his father, Thutmose II, and Hatshepsut was appointed to be his regent, so exercising power in his name, and later on in the year 7 of Thutmose III, Hatshepsut became uh, a pharaoh, ru ruling jointly with Thutmose III up to year, regular year 20 or 21 of his reign, as we discussed last time. Okay. And for everyone listening, if anyone hadn't listened to that previous episode on Hatshepsut, I will drop a link to it in the show notes that are associated to this um, episode up on the IthacaBound.com web website if uh, anyone wants to go and catch up on that because we spent uh, more time on, on some of those, those points in that episode. Okay, the Kingdom of Kush came up in your first um, I believe it was your first first response when you're just giving background on 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 him, and Asia came up as as well. So let's let's start with the kingdom of Kush. Can you describe what that geopolitical environment was during his reign and why he uh, took the military actions that he did? Generally, the kingdom of Kush or, or the land of Nubia is the land situated to the south of uh, of the first cataract of Egypt. Of, of first cataract of the Nile. So it is the, the southern part of modern Egypt and the northern part of modern Sudan. Um, in the Middle Kingdom, kings of the 12th dynasty um, subdued the part, the part of it, the so-called Lower Nubia, so the northern part of the kingdom of Kush, was, uh, was subdued to the Egyptian control. And the southern part of, of Nubia was independent. Um, but in the second intermediate period, so the time of crisis, which I mentioned in the, in the, in the last episode, um, the, the, the whole land of Nubia was, became independent from the Egyptian control and became a real threat to Egypt from the south. Um, so uh, after, after having reunited Egypt, the kings of the early, of the early 18th dynasty decided to um, eliminate this threat to the southern borders, and so Thutmose I organized uh, this huge military campaign, which started in his regnal year two and lasted uh, up until regnal year three, uh, in which, as I said, he literally destroyed the the kingdom of Kush, uh, going as far as the fourth cataract of Egypt, Egypt uh, of, of the Nile, so far into the Sudan, modern Sudan, and. Uh, um, and once again, he was the first king to go as far south uh, with his military troops uh, in the whole history of Egypt. And we know that, uh, the, that the, the, the land of Nubia will be under, the Egyptian, under direct Egyptian control uh, until the end of the New Kingdom period. So it will be a part of Egypt uh, for the next 300 years or 400 years even. So after that military campaign that you described in that in that initial response, how how would you describe? Um, did the demarcation of Egypt change? And, and and again, we'll get we'll get to the uh, the the efforts um, uh, in uh, in in a part, a part of Asia that you had, you had just described soon. Um, but after the military campaign in the Kingdom of Kush, did the demarcation, the geographic demarcation of the state uh, change? And um, could you describe what that 
uh, geographic demarcation would, would be if someone was looking at a map? Yeah, to some extent it, it did change. I mean, uh, in the Middle Kingdom, prior to the, thir- to, to the first, uh, let's say, conquest of the, of the Nubian land, the southern border of Egypt was located at the first cataract of the Nile, so near to the modern city of Aswan. Later on, the kings of the 12th dynasty, especially Senwosret I and Senwosret III in particular, started to conquer Nubia, and the southern limit of the Egyptian control was moved farther to the south, and it started to be, let's say, more or less in the same place where it is today, when you look at the map of modern Egypt. King the I, in turn, moved it even, uh, even, more, even farther to the south, uh, well into modern Sudan, to the fourth, or even beyond the fourth cataract of, um, of, the, of the Nile. Okay, so let's, let's go to, um, back to the, the foreign affairs that you had described in brief at the start of the episode. Philippe, uh, in you had mentioned Asia. Was it, and you mentioned a, a river, was it the Euphrates? Is that what, the river that you had mentioned? The Euphrates, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So can you, yeah, can you describe what, what was happening, um, happening there and, and again, what the geopolitical environment was and what interested um, e- Egypt, what interested Thutmose the, the first at this given time in, in, um, in having those affairs up there? We don't know the exact details of the campaign of Thutmose I in Asia. The problem is that, uh, let's say, the geopolitical situation was like this, that uh, Egypt was, um, was fighting for the control of the, of the smaller states in the Near Eastern area, so in the modern, let's say, Palestine, Syria, and, and so on, uh, with another great empire, namely the, the, the Mitanni. It was a, a state which was located in northern Mesopotamia, who also wanted to exercise control over this, uh, over this area of the, of the Near East. And apparently, when Thutmose I uh, advanced in his campaign to the Euphrates River, um, he wanted to directly challenge the great king of Mitanni. Um, we, the, the thing is, we don't really know if he did, but we know that later on, Thutmose III, in his campaigns to Syria and Palestine, um, did in fact went to the same place as Thutmose I uh, earlier did, and they both um, erected a stela describing, um, describing the victories. And we know that Thutmose III later actually fought with the with the Mitannian army. So it is, it is possible that Thutmose I earlier did also. Um, and, but apparently, we, as, as we don't know the, the details because we don't have, um, we don't have these, let's say, um, inscriptions um, directly describing military activity of Thutmose I in, uh, in Asia. So the details of his campaign are not, are not, very no, are not known to us. Um, Unfortunate, unfortunately, but we may pre- we may presume that uh, his campaign to the Asia was also su- was also successful, uh, as did his campaign as was his campaign to the south of Egypt. 
if you were to describe the Euphrates River on a, on a map, how would you describe that? Um, it is one of the of of the of the of the two most important rivers of Mesopotamia, so modern Iraq. It is the one which is uh, to the west. So so this is it, the Egyptians had a a curious way of of uh, of describing it actually because when they when they actually first saw the the Euphrates River, they called it um, the. The, the river which uh, which flows um, how, 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 how can I put it um, the river which, which flow back which flows backwards we might we might say because for the Egyptians uh, the only river they, they knew most of them was Nile Nile which was flowing from south to north mm-hmm. Elfrates however flows from north to south from so from the egyptian perspective it was flowing the other way around and this is what they say in the inscriptions when they got to the euphrates river this is that this is a river who is uh, flowing southwards while flowing northwards if you get mm-hmm. what i what mm-hmm. tried to say yeah interesting yeah interesting side side note on on that how far um, does that river, and I could, anyone could look, you know, look it up and, and Google it. I'm not going to do that because that's going to create some uh, pounding on a keyboard noise in the, in the background. Um, so I'm going to ask the question instead. Um, how, does, it, does it get to the Levant at, at all? Uh, no, no, not, not at all. Okay. Um, I mean, the Levant is more to the west, like, right? So the Levant is modern, modern Palestine, modern... Lebanon, um, perhaps also Jordania and Syria to some extent, uh, while um, while Euphrates River or Mesopotamia is modern Iraq, so more to the east. Okay, all right. So uh, so we've covered the Kingdom of Kush, the the campaign or campaigns there, and the campaigns. So when it comes to the Asia, there was. Is there any evidence of long-term settlement by Egyptians a- after those campaigns? You mentioned that uh, scholars believe it was successful. Is there any any uh, evidence of long-term settlement? Mm, let's say that uh, the Egyptian control exercised over the, over the north was somewhat different than the Egyptian control exercised over the south. Because in the south, they had, let's say, um, uh, a fortresses built uh, by the Egyptians to host the garnisons and to exercise direct control over, um, over Nubia. While in the north, uh, apparently there were also Egyptian garrisons staying in, uh, in the cities, but it was more of a, a kind of protectorate. Um, so the difference is we may say that the south was lit, was, um, was uh, let's say, literally um, was part of the Egyptian Empire, let's say, literally, while this was the zone of Egyptian influence, more of a protectorate than the, than the part of... more protectorate than a province, we might say. Do you think... Um, 
it's reasonable to think you part of that effort was supporting another state in their in their efforts to the east opposing brother opposing so, uh, so, sorry did you just use the term opposing yeah i said opposing i mean the egyptian the egyptians wanted to come to the the egyptians were um, how to call how to say it uh, there was a rival uh, there was a rivalry between egypt and mitanni over this uh, over this area of the levant the Mitannians wanted to control it and the Egyptians wanted to control it. Okay, I understand. Yeah, and where I was getting at with that uh, question to be more specific was I was pondering if there may have been another um, group in, in, in involved and um, perhaps the um, Th Thutmose and his, his um, army were supporting that group against um, against another uh, group that's there. But what I'm understanding, based on what you're saying, is that's, that's, very, that's unlikely. It was more that this was an area that they wanted to placate, it sounds like, in some, in, in some way, to placate the, the, uh, the state that would have been there. Is that correct? Um, mm, let's say there were a couple of, of, of states, of small, small city-states, in uh, in this area and this city state sometimes wanted to be independent sometimes they wanted to be under egyptian protectorate sometimes they wanted to be under maintaining protectorate depending on what uh, the local rulers um, thought most profitable for them all um, and uh, at the same time the egyptians wanted to control all of them and the Mitannians wanted to control all of them for the Egyptians, the area was very important because this is the area from which the Egyptians imported the cedar. Um, so uh, a precious wood and very strong wood important for, for the Egyptians because in Egypt uh, there is there, there are a couple of species of wood but not as strong and durable as a cedar wood which they needed for, uh, for various purposes. Um, and uh, Sometimes it happened, uh, we, we know it from late periods of, of Egyptian history, but for example, there, are, there were some groups in the cities controlled by the Egyptians, which conspired with, uh, uh, with Mitannians and with Hittites, the later empire, the later empire which was um, situated on, in modern Turkey, so in, so in Anatolia. Uh, that, that they conspired with, uh, with, with these other empires against the Egyptians. And so we might infer that, that this might have happened also the other way around. So there might have been some people who conspired with Egyptians against, uh, the, against the other thing. And actually, we know that it happened in later periods. For example, we have in the Bible mentions of uh, the Israelite king conspiring with, Egypt, with Egypt against the king of Babylonia, for example. So it is theoretically possible that such things were also present it also happened in the time of Thutmose I, but this is only this is only something we can infer. We don't have any confirmation for that in the historical or archaeological record. Okay, so before we work uh, our way to the later period of his life, is there any other uh, major points that you want to make sure is highlighted from his uh, reign? Um, actually, yes, because um, I concentrated for. for for now at his, let's say, military achievements. But uh, Thutmose I has also important 
building achievements uh, within Egypt itself, especially in the city of Thebes. Um, we know, for example, that uh, he was one of the rulers who expanded the temple of Karnak. Um, Inanni, the one, the guy who was responsible for the construction of his tomb, wherever wherever it was, was responsible also for other buildings of Fukmos of I, especially in the temple of Karnak. And, uh, but unfortunately, once again, scholars are, mm, mm, let's say, mm, disputing mm, the exact extent of the works of Fukmosa I. We know definitely that uh, he was responsible for the construction of the third pylon, uh, or pylon, pylon being the monumental gate leading to any Egyptian temple. And the Karnak temple had actually uh, 10 of them, constructed at various periods of Egyptian of Egyptian history. Thutmose the first was responsible for the fifth pillar at Karnak, definitely. Some scholars also say that he was responsible for the fourth pillar. Um, and uh, for two for a pair of two obelisks. Um, and others believe it was later it was actually constructed by Hatshepsut and reattributed to by her to his deceased father Thutmose the first. Um, but nevertheless, Fukmos I is, mm, mm, is responsible for a significant mm, expansion of the temple at Karnak. And we also know that uh, he constructed his uh, mm, mortuary temple, so the temple dedicated to, to his cult, uh, to, to, to the cult of his, of his deceased person in the western Thebes, mm. so mm, on, 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 on this part of, of Thebes, which was dedicated to host uh, tombs and mortuary temples. And uh, this temple was, mm, mm, was long lost, but fortunately it was rediscovered by my colleague Yerniga Ivashchuk a couple of years ago and uh, I hope it will be published uh, soon so everyone can uh, know uh, how it looked like and what was represented in it because it actually survived only in, in fragments uh, which is like a big puzzle, you know, a jigsaw puzzle that you have to reconstruct all the fragments to know what, uh, what what's actually represented on the walls but unfortunately you have only some puzzles and you don't have this picture so that you can uh, that you can look at while reconstructing it so to say a very mm, difficult and but yet still fascinating work okay and is it known if he traveled at all on those two military campaigns that you described earlier in the episode you mean if, if he was personally present at the battlefield? Yeah, yeah, yeah specifically. I mean, this is generally, as a rule, uh, a royal obligation to be personally present at the battlefield and to fight for Egypt. Um, we have only a couple of examples where, where we know that the king was, for example, too young. We have this for Fukmus II, for example. We have an inscription which, which says that, uh, that the, which, which, which suggests more likely that, um, more precisely, uh, that king because the king was too young to be personally present at the battlefield, uh, he sent off his uh, his bow, so his protective spirit to guide um, 
to guide the army to the victory, but this suggests he was not personally present at the battlefield. But as a rule, the kings of Egypt had to um, participate in the military campaigns, and even Hatshepsut did, although she was a woman. Uh, we have an inscription saying that she was personally present at the battlefield and that the guy who made this inscription uh, saw with his own eyes that she was, uh, she was massacring the, uh, the rebels in Nubia. Okay. Before we, um, before we wrap, wrap up in a, in a chronological uh, kind of way on the later period of his life in succession, um, is it, did, is it, is it uh, known that uh, Thutmose I, did he practice traditional religion at that given time? Um, and is there any, anything that you feel is necessary to add that uh, would have been particularly different or um, accentuated in his reign when it came to religious orientation? Mm, I believe he mm, did not introduce any, any significant change in, uh, in, in the religion of ancient Egypt. Uh, let's say he was not a religious reformer in the way that Akhenaten did, for example, was, for example. Um, he, he rather followed traditional ways of, of religion, uh, but as, as I told you in the case, with the case of Hatshepsut, uh, the king supported traditional religion. Of course, he expanded the temple of Amun at Karnak. He probably, if he, if he reigned any longer, he probably would have expanded also other temples. Um, but this is some, something that king is expected to do. I mean, but we don't know what was his personal ideas, his personal beliefs about the gods, and we will never know. I mean, that, 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 that's the problem, right? But uh, in, the, in the domain of religion, um, let's say the reign of the I seems to follow the examples of his predecessors, and uh, the only and perhaps the only significant change is uh, in the domain of funerary re religion, as it seems that the I was the first king of Egypt to to separate the tomb from the place of the, of the mortuary cult. So in the early periods, um, the tomb, so the place where the body is buried, and the mortuary temple, so the place where the cult of a deceased person is performed, were, were closely juxtaposed, being part of the same monumental complex. But in the, with the reign of Fukumus the, the first, this changes, and the tomb is in one place, and the mortuary temple is another place. You can see it uh, quite easily when you see that the tombs are located in the Valley of the Kings, the, the tombs of the, of the New Kingdom Pharaohs, they're located in the Valley of the Kings, while the tomb, while the mortuary temples are located on, in various places in, the, in, uh, in uh, Western Thebes, like for example, Hatshepsut's temple is in Deir al-Bahari, Ramesses III's temple is in Medinet Habu, um, Amenhotep the third is at Komel Hitan, and so on and so on. Okay, so let's go to the uh, the later period of his life. What's known about that uh, stage in his life, including his death, and and um, you could probably um, cover succession uh, as well. We might as well cover it all in in this last last part here. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> 
actually we know nothing about the later part of it was the first reign we don't know nothing about his the circumstances of his death we don't even know how long he actually reigned as i told you in one of my earlier responses um he Mm, the scholars believe that he uh, reigned for at least eight years, but he might have long, reigned as long as 12 years, for example. Um, mm, Indony, once again, the guy responsible for construction of his tomb, uh, tells us that uh, when the king died, his son uh, stood, out, stood up in his place and became king in his stead. And Inani describes this new king, Futmusa II, as a falcon in a nest, which means that she was still, that he was still uh, a youngling. So a very, um, a baby probably, or maybe not a baby, a child or an adolescent. Um, and so, as we have already said, he married his half-sister Hatshepsut, who became his queen, but apparently, um, this um, boy king was um, not um, of, of a man of strong health, so he died unexpectedly after no more than three years of reign. And once again, his son became king, and this son, Thutmose III, was probably even younger than his father, Thutmose II, was as his, at his accession. Probably he was an infant and Hatshepsut was uh, appointed to be his um, a regent reigning in his name and later on she became his co-ruler and, uh, and a pharaoh. If you were to leave listeners with a thought or, or a few thoughts on um, Thutmose I's life, if you were to summarize um, how, how he advanced Egypt constructively um, how would what, what, what would you what would you um, what would you say I would say that footmost the first although almost completely forgotten by let's say the general public today uh, was definitely one of the most important rulers of ancient Egypt apparently he became king quite unexpectedly. I mean, when he was born, he was not thinking that one day he would be king because he was not the son of the previous king. Perhaps he was not even of royal origin or of, of the royal family. He was not, perhaps even not member of the royal family. But due to various circumstances, he became king and he tried to do his best to serve Egypt and uh, and as a result, he destroyed one of Egypt's most important enemies at the time. He expanded the borders of Egypt to unprecedented scale. He constructed many um, monuments within Egypt, which, and he showed the way to his latest successes, especially Hatshepsut and Thutmose III, who followed in his footsteps in making Egypt um, glorious, or to, to, to put it in more modern ter terms, to make Egypt great again. Okay. Thanks for coming on the show, Philippe. You know your stuff, and it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much. I, I truly appreciate your, your invitations, and um, I hope it's, it, it was not boring for, 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 um, 
for the for all who who joined the show today. I tr- I trust it wasn't. Always good chatting with you, Philippe. So again, everybody, the um, I will drop some links like last time. I'm going to drop some links to some of Dr. Taturka's work in the show notes associated to this episode. Uh, I'll also, as I mentioned earlier, link to the previous episode that was published with uh, Dr. Taturka speaking about a previous female pharaoh, Hatshepsut. I'm going to link to that in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Philippe and everybody listening, as always, wishing a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.